to take it out and turn with me to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Find chapter 9, we're going to read two verses, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. I want to take a few moments this morning and answer this beautiful question that you hear so many times this time of the year. What child is this? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, give us the answer. The word of the Lord says, Isaiah 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you again today that you have blessed us to be here. You've blessed us, Lord, to have life and breath and a voice that we can praise you with. And Father, I pray that this morning we would hold nothing in reserve as we think about your great word. Father, you're an awesome God who 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you answered the great question, what child is this? You told us, Lord, exactly about this son that you were giving, that, Father, he would come and he would be our all in all. He would be, Father, the remedy for our sin problem, and he would bring peace into our hearts and lives. And, Father, thank you that not only was Jesus here to be known all those years ago, but he's here to be known today. And I pray, Lord, that if anyone in this place doesn't know this Christ, that, Lord, before we leave here today, he or she would come to the saving knowledge of your Son, our Savior, in whose name I pray, and amen. Well, we love to sing that Christmas carol or hymn, What Child Is This? W. Chatterton Dix wrote this carol back in 1865. At the time, he was a 29-year-old insurance executive over in England, and there's something that differentiates him between all of the other hymnists and carol writers in that part of the country back in that time. It's this, he was not a theologian. He wasn't a pastor or a preacher, but he was a lay person. It's interesting, all those years ago, preachers spent a lot of time writing hymns and writing carols, but this man, again, was not a preacher. He was a layman, and he was going through a very difficult time in his life. He had been beset with a terrible illness, and he had settled down into some depression right at this particular time of the year. And as he began 
to read the prophecies in the Old Testament that concerned the coming of the Messiah. He settled in on this one that we've read together this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. And that's what inspired him not only to write the carol, but as he contemplated the beautiful promise of Jesus and who Jesus would be, God used that season of his life to lift his spirits. And he came out of his depression and not much later than that, he would be healed of his physical disease, but it all started as he started to think about who Jesus is. May I tell you this morning that if you're here today and maybe you're despondent, perhaps you're hurting because of something that life has thrown your way, look up and take a look at Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. That sounds trite, but isn't that so true? And I love what Brother Sean sang in his song that Jesus, it's all about Him. Everything that we do over the remainder of this month leading up to December 25th, it's all to remind us that God looked down and saw us in our greatest need. And in response to that need, He gave the greatest gift ever given, the Lord Jesus. And so no wonder that Mr. Dix, back in the late 1800s, would begin to write that carol that we love so dearly. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste, To bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. That's what you and I need to do today. We need to concentrate on who this Jesus is and make sure that over the next few weeks, we don't allow the real reason for the season to be taken from our hearts and lives. So many people around us have obscured the view of Christmas. For a lot of people, Santa has replaced the Savior, right? For some people, Rudolph has replaced the Redeemer. For many of us, feasting has replaced faith and toys have replaced the truth. For some people, glittering lights have replaced God's love, but not for us. Amen? We're not going to let that happen as we worship together and celebrate Jesus this month here at Bible Baptist Church. Well, Isaiah, as I've already mentioned, 700 years before Mary gave birth in Bethlehem that we thought about last week, prophesied by Micah. Isaiah prophesies, and he tells us just exactly who this child is. Is. And so we're going to spend two Sundays, today and next Sunday, allowing these verses, these rich theological, Christological verses of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, just settle down deeply in our hearts. So who is this child? I'm going to give you two answers over the next few moments. The first answer is this. This is the child 
that was given. Everybody say given with me. Here we go. Given. One more time, and I know you've got it. Given. This is the child who was given. Notice that Isaiah, in these verses of Scripture, talks about a child who would be born to us and a son who would be given. I want you to understand that in those two thoughts, there are two wonderful truths of Christmas. One speaks of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other one speaks of the divinity of the Lord Jesus. So who is this child? What child is this? He's the child that is given And we see the great theological truth of Christianity that our Lord and Savior Jesus was 100% God, yet at the same time, He was 100% man. We call Jesus the God-man. He was able to be all God without discarding any of that, but at the same time, He was able to be all God. Man, You see, when we think about the humanity and the divinity of Christ, one tells us that he's son of man, and the other one tells us that he's son of God. One tells us of his earthly beginning, and the other one tells us of his eternal being. One tells us that he was the babe of Bethlehem, and the other one tells us that he is and evermore shall be the God of glory. You see, as a child, he was born to live with us, but as the son, he was given to die for us. We'll mention this over and over the next three weeks, but I think it really bears repeating, don't you? That Jesus, as a human, at the same time all God was given to be our supreme sacrifice. Several years ago, when I was a younger pastor, I'm still a young man, by the way, but the day uh, was several years ago that I was a very young pastor, started pastoring. I started working in churches when I was 19 years old, a sophomore at Cumberland College, and then from that point forward, God has kept me in ministry in some form or fashion, started pastoring as senior pastor in my first church when I was 24. Then I went into full-time pastoral ministry a few years after that. And one of the things we did, the music minister in that particular church and I, as we planned the Christmas season, we, we decided that the theme of the season was going to be from the cradle to the cross. That makes a lot of sense, right? Jesus came into a cradle, born of Mary, placed in the manger so that ultimately he would go to the cross. But we did, I guess, a really bad thing. Let me tell you what we did. They had a manger set out at the church as a part of the Christmas decorations. It was a beautiful thing. They had been a little extravagant in all the decorations and the manger was just right. But we went into the Holy Week decorations and we found this big cross. And what we did is we laid the cross, the top part of the cross, down in the manger 
to be a visual reminder of our theme that season, from the cradle to the cross. Some of the ladies of the church that had decorated didn't like it. And I remember one particular Sunday morning, uh, a lady came to me at the end of the service and said, Brother Allen, I cannot believe that y'all have done that. I said, done what? She said, you took the manger and there's that big old cross coming out of it. She said, when I come to church at Christmas time, I don't want to think about the cross, I want to think about the cradle. May I say to you this morning, if through the remainder of this month, you only think about the cradle and you don't think about the cross, you have missed Christmas. That's what Christmas is about, that there was an eternal deity that came down and robed up in a package of humanity so that he could go to the cross for us. And we see it right here in this prophecy that came 700 years before Jesus was ever born. So again, I want you to notice, this is the son who was given. It's the child that God gave. I want you to think with me, first of all, about his eternal deity. Again, as the child of man, Jesus was born, but as the Son of God, Jesus was given. And so Isaiah writes, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We're going to take that in reverse, and I think it will be more meaningful to you that way. He is the Son That was given. Notice that as the Son, Jesus was not born, but as the Son, He was given. Now what does that remind you of? It ought to remind you of the verse all of us know, John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He did what, church? He gave He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's Christmas gift to this world was a person of deity wrapped up in a package of humanity. I said something to you last week that I'm going to say to you the next few weeks over and over again. Jesus Christ is the only only person ever born in the history of the world who at the moment of his birth was older than his mother and just as old as his father. Hear it again. Jesus, when he was born, he was much older than Mary, right? Because of his eternal deity. He had always been. Mary was created. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning, Mary wasn't even thought of by her earthly parents. So he was older than the Virgin Mary, but he was just as old as his father. What that statement says to us practically, that Jesus was older than Mary and just as old as his father, John, the writer of the gospel, says it like this theologically in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. Down in verse 18 of John 1, Scripture says, No man has seen God at any time, but only the begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he explained him. You see, Jesus is that eternal being who came down to let us see God. Never forget that. The people who were on this earth, the apostles and the disciples who were here in first century Judah all those years ago, they not only saw a man when they looked at Jesus, they saw God. When they looked at Jesus, obviously they saw the features of a human. He had fingers to touch. He had feet to walk. He had eyes to see. He had a nose to smell and ears to hear. He had all of those things. But in essence, never forget that He was God walking and talking among men. He was God that night on the Sea of Galilee when the ship was about to sink and he stood up out of his slumber and he said, peace, be still. And the waves ceased and that storm dissipated. He was God when he came that night walking on the water. He was God when he stood in front of the grave of Lazarus who had been dead for so long that his decaying body was starting to smell. But as God, he stood there and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus became alive as if he had never died. I'm saying to you, this Jesus who walked upon the earth was not just a man, but this Jesus was and is and evermore shall be God. When you think of Jesus, you think of God. When you pray through the name of Jesus, you pray through the name of God. When you meet Jesus in the pages of the gospel, I'm saying to you this morning, you meet up with and have an encounter with not just a man, but holy God. It's His eternal deity. But notice His eternal deity came down in the form of earthly humanity. This is the child that was given for unto us. This son is given, God gave him, but notice also the first part of that, this child is born. The son that was given came in the form of a child that was born. Now, I know that over the past two or three Christmases, a lot of people have debated back and forth about Mark Lowry's great song, Mary, Did You Know? I don't know if you've seen any of that debate. Can I settle it this morning? That's a good song. And not only is it a good song, it's a really good song. Because I'm telling you, Mary was a fleshly woman. She was flesh and blood. Understand this about Mary. She was highly favored, yes, She was chosen by God, certainly, but she was not deity. And she never will be deity. We do not pray to Mary, we pray to God. Mary is not our mediator with God. 
The son she bore for God is our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no way that an earthly mind, the mind of a mere mortal woman, could have entertained everything that would to be known about the Lord Jesus. Mary did not know all of those things, and so it's good for us to have the help of artists that cause us to think through great theological truths like that. But I want you to understand, Jesus is so much, He is eternal deity, robed up and packed up in flesh, in humanity. We call that the incarnation. That root word in that word incarnation, you can hear it carnal, which speaks of the flesh. In other words, Jesus in essence is God with meat on the bones. If you were to go to a Mexican restaurant and order chile con carne. What are you ordering? You're ordering chili with meat. And so that same root word is the same that our theological term incarnation comes from. And beloved, don't miss it. I know that's a big $100 word, but it's a word that all of us need to think about Because if you don't think about it, if you don't try to grasp it, if you don't make it part of your personal doctrine and theology, you're really missing Christmas. The incarnation, Almighty God came down. That's the great truth of Christmas. Jesus slash God was in the flesh. I love what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, you know there's some great 316 verses scattered throughout the pages of the Bible. And one of those is 1 Timothy 316, where Paul writes and he says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world. And then he was taken up to glory. Well, that's the gospel in a nutshell, right? That Jesus in flesh came down, vindicated by the Spirit. He's baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and the Spirit of God makes his way to the saint in the form of the dove and God vindicates him and says, this is my beloved son and in him I am well pleased. The angels ministered to him. He's been preached all over this world. He's been believed on by people all over the nations. He was taken up into glory and he's coming again one day. And we know that all of this great prophecy comes to fruition because of God's plan that Isaiah reveals in two chapters before chapter 9. In Isaiah 7.14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. 
Last Wednesday night and then the next couple of Wednesday nights, we're having a little fun in our prayer meeting and we're talking through some Christmas trivia. I told the crowd last Wednesday night, I hated to call it trivia because there's nothing about Christmas that's really trivial, right? It's all very important, but we're entertaining some questions, thinking through the richness of Christmas, and and that's one of the questions we ask. What is Emmanuel? What does that name mean? And we all remembered together last Wednesday night that Emmanuel simply means God with us. God was with us in the form of Jesus. God is with us now as His Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus resides within His heart. And it was all made possible because God didn't use natural means, but God placed His Son into the womb of that little virgin girl, Mary, who, by the way, was probably somewhere between 12 and 14 years of age. And God places His Son within her. It was not a natural conception. It was a miraculous conception. And it's so important that we hang on to that because, again, Isaiah says, this is the sign. This is how you know that God is with you. The virgin shall conceive. And then we see it not only prophesied in the Old Testament, but we see it beautifully presented in the New Testament. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, 34 and 35, Mary says to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? since I do not know a man. And the the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Because of the miraculous conception and the virgin birth, we have every reason to know in our hearts today that Messiah came that first Christmas. John Phillips, one of my favorite authors, once said this. He said, The great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity and without distorting the humanity. That's miraculous, isn't it? But God did it through the virgin birth. I heard a story years ago about a preacher who was preaching at Christmas time and he was waxing eloquently about the virgin birth and he preached hard on it and after the service, a liberal man came up to him and said, well, preacher, quite frankly, I do not believe in that. I do not believe in the virgin birth. Can you tell me again that you really do believe that and why you believe in that? The preacher simply said, yes, I believe it, and I think you would too if you saw a baby born and the angels came down and sang at his birth. I think you would believe it if hundreds of years before it ever happened that the prophets of old would would in great detail 
talk about the time that it would happen and the place that would happen. I believe you would believe it if about two years after his birth, the star would shine over the house where he lived. I believe that you would believe it if you saw him walk on the water. And I think you would believe it if you saw him raise up from the dead and ascend into heaven. He said, yes, sir, I believe it and you should too. And I say the same thing to you this morning. Don't doubt it. Don't allow people around you to try to convince you that Jesus was not virgin born, that Jesus did not live a sinless life. Because my friend, if any part of that is not true, we are of all people most miserable because we are still lost in our sins. But because He was miraculously conceived and virgin born, He lived a sinless life so that He could do for us on Calvary's cross what we cannot do for ourselves. This is the child that was given. And my, oh my, how He was given. Given by a loving Father, miraculously, and born as a child from Mary. But notice number two this morning, not only is this the child that was given, this is the child that will govern. Notice again what Scripture says in verse 6, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. His government would be different from any other government in human history because, you see, it's a universal government. As I've already mentioned to you this morning, the first time he came to the cradle, when he comes again, he will come wearing a crown. The first time he came to redeem, the next time when he comes... He's coming back to rule. The first time he came to die upon a tree and the next time he's coming to rule from a throne. Right now, his kingdom is internal. It's in our hearts and lives today. You might say, well, preacher, I'm a citizen of the United States of America the great commonwealth of Kentucky, Rockcastle County, and whatever community you happen to live in. And that would be true for you, but may I say to you that you're a part of a greater kingdom than that. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And I'm saying to you this morning, you belong not only to a country, and to a state, and to a county, and to a community. But more importantly, you are a part of the kingdom of light. You're a part of God's kingdom. It's eternal, or internal rather, right now. But I'm saying to you very soon, it will be an external kingdom. The Bible says in Zechariah 14 verse 9, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. He'll be king over all the earth, and in that day, he'll be the only one, and his name will be one. You see, 
my friend, Jesus Christ is coming back to rule and to reign in the great fact of Christmas. The great opportunity and the great privilege that you have right now is allowing that coming external kingdom to rule and to reign in your heart and life internally right now. You see, it's a coming kingdom because Jesus is the Messiah given to govern. But I also want you to understand it's an unending kingdom. If you look at your Bible in verse 7, the Bible says of our text, there will be no end to the increase of His government or of His peace. Now just let that sink in for a moment as we close this morning. There will never be an end to the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. Armies have marched against Him. Smart men in their own mind thought that they could ride Him out of society. But may I ask you this morning, is the kingdom of the Lord here now? Yes. And if the kingdom of the Lord is here right now internally, just be reminded today that God's kingdom will come externally and everyone will see it. My favorite scripture comes from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes and he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee of things in heaven on the earth and under the earth will bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm saying to you this morning, every knee will bow down to Jesus. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Daniel wrote in 2.44, And the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put to an end all those kingdoms, but it, it itself will endure forever. Let me tell you about our king. He won't be voted into office and he can't be voted out of office. What about our king? He's not coming back to choose up sides. But King Jesus is coming back to take over. And when he comes, he won't be riding on the back of a Republican elephant or a Democratic donkey. Jesus Christ will come back riding the white charger of holiness, righteousness, and godliness, and He will establish a kingdom that will prevail, and it will be a kingdom of peace that shall last, Scripture says, forevermore. Listen, the government shall be upon His shoulder. The government government of this world is not mine and it's not yours. It's not America's, it's not Israel's, it's not Canada's or Mexico's. The ultimate government of this world belongs to one king and his name is Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you this morning, is this king 
ruling and reigning in your heart today. Remember what we've talked about. Right now, it's internal. You know what? Rockcastle County, Kentucky needs more than anything else. Rockcastle County, Kentucky needs to bend the knee to King Jesus. Because when we bend the knee to King Jesus and accept Him as our Lord and our personal Savior, He takes care of all the trash that can be in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and and you keep looking and you keep searching for something and you cannot find satisfaction. I'm saying to you today, come to Jesus. He stands ready to receive you. He'll save you today. Not only will He give you a place in heaven to come, but He'll rule and reign in your heart right now, giving you meaning and purpose for life. Why wouldn't you come to Jesus today? Let me ask you, Christian friend, you're saved, He's your Savior, but are you living like He's your Lord? Is Jesus number one in your life? Or are there other things of life? Maybe even at this season that should be all about Him. Are there other things that are more pressing on your heart and more active in your mind than the rule of King Jesus in your life? And if that's true for you, if that's true for me, may I tell you today that we're backslidden. If there's ever been a moment when Jesus was more precious to you, when He ruled more completely your life than He does right now, you are backslidden today. And you need to come to Him. You need to confess. You don't need to talk to me. You don't have to talk to anybody else. But I'm saying to you, this season of the year, when we celebrate the greatest gift that has ever been given, the fact that God gave His all to us, it should compel us to give our all to Him. He should be Lord of our schedule. He should be Lord of our talents. He should be Lord of our lives. And He should be Lord of our homes. And if He isn't today, Beloved, we're missing Christmas. We're missing it. And I compel you. I urge you to let Jesus completely and totally rule your life. Don't hold anything in reserve. Give it all to Him. And I promise you, at that very moment, when you give it all over to Jesus, and you say, Lord, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. When you say that and you mean that, God's peace, sweet peace, takes over your life. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is in control. Oh, what child is this? What a beautiful child. What a beautiful man. What a beautiful Savior. Would you stand with me today and bow your heads?
I want to pray for you, and as I pray for you, and you begin to listen closely to what the Spirit might be saying to your heart and your life, would you consider coming forward today if you need to make a decision for Him? If Jesus is not your Lord, if He's not your Savior, come today. I'd be glad to sit down with you and take the Word of God so that you fully understand how you can be saved today. Would you come? Or maybe, Christian friend, you you realize that honestly your life is not right before Him. He's your Savior. But right now you're not living like He's your King. Because there's someone or something else upon the throne of your life. Would you come? Enjoy this Christmas. Let it be the greatest Christmas ever because the greatest gift ever given is in control of your heart and your life. If you need to come, would you come today? Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us the great gift of Jesus. Dear Lord, I pray today that if any man, woman, boy, or girl needs to come and respond to your word, that he or she would come. Be honored and glorified in us as we give everything to you without reserve. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we